What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Uh, we have been off for a couple of weeks, but I'm excited to bring you guys this episode today. It's been somebody been really excited to get on the show for a while. I'm joined today by Matt Zernsack from The Push Archery. If you guys follow The Push, if you're into the recurve archery world, traditional archery world at all, uh, you guys probably know who Matt is and who The Push are. And it's an awesome, awesome page, an awesome company that is putting out really high quality educational material for traditional bow hunters, specifically the guys that are coming from compound archery into the traditional world. Uh, they have a ton of uh, educational content and a giant teaching platform that you can learn. You know, there's dozens and hundreds of even probably hours of content from really high level coaches uh, teaching archery mechanics specifically for traditional archery. But I really wanted to get Matt on to talk about all things trad bow, where he started with his recurve journey, you know, animals he hunts. We got into a whole white tail versus mule deer thing for a while and just the differences between the two animals and how you hunt them. We learned a lot about how, you know, Matt treats his hunts and how he prepares and his tactics for hunting whitetail out in Pennsylvania. It was just a really cool conversation and he had a lot of great tips if you're somebody that is new to recurve archery or traditional archery or you're somebody who's been thinking about it, you've been on the fence for a while, you've seen you know, the posts that I do and the posts that you do at Peace, Love and Me, we're talking about our archery journeys and you're wanting to get into that world, Matt has some awesome tips here. Uh, that you're going to want to take notes on to get you involved in this traditional archery world, you know, right away and get you feeling good and shooting well. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a blast. Uh, Before we get into it, I want to make sure we mention uh, a couple of the partners of the show that have been helping us out around here, making sure that you guys still have great content and then providing you some, some awesome opportunities to get killer products also so the first one being selway archery which we actually mentioned in this podcast because drew is one of the guys that kind of pushed push pushed matt to get the podcast going for the push and uh they make traditional archery quivers for recurves longbow self-balls all that kind of stuff i have one the rawhide one it's laser engraved with the nomad strength logo on it it's amazing high quality work Drew Kohlhofer and the family are all awesome people, and it's a really well-made product, made by well, you know, made by awesome people. And go support them because they're they're great friends, and they're supporting the show in a really important way. And then second, I want to go to Steady Grounds Coffee Co. My good friend George Adams and his wife have this small batch coffee roasting company, and it is amazing coffee. I, I am a coffee snob, and if you followed me for any amount of time, you probably know that about me by now. Uh, but this is some of the best coffee I've ever had in my life, and I'm not kidding. And what we're really excited about here in the next couple of weeks is finally unveiling and releasing the Nomad Dark Roast to you guys that we partnered with specifically to create. We've been testing a bunch of different blends, making sure what we wanted was dialed in exactly how we wanted it. And here in the next couple of weeks, before Christmas, the goal is to get it out before Christmas. We're going to do a giveaway uh, when we launch it. It's going to be a whole big thing, and I can't wait for you guys to get this coffee and try it. It's amazing. But go find Steady Grounds Coffee Co. on Instagram, on on the website, and I'll put the links below for all of these. But go check them out. Go follow them and get some of their coffee in the meantime. We have a couple weeks before Nomad comes out. Go get some of the Mississippi Midnight. That's my second favorite one. And the Jumpstart's also also awesome, but go support some awesome people making awesome stuff and supporting the show in the process. So that's it for my intro. Let's dive into this week's episode with Matt Cernzak. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. Uh, Today, I have a guest that I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now since I got into the stick bow world. Sweet. Uh, It's been a little bit over a year, but uh, I'm joined by Matt Zernzak from The Push. Uh, If you guys follow The Push on YouTube, they have awesome YouTube videos and content and then the awesome podcast as well. But dude, I'm excited to talk to you about some some stick and string stuff yeah, today because it's been all I've been in for about a <laughs> <Yeah>. year now. <laughs> yeah, it, it tends to uh, it tends to consume us. There's no doubt. Once you get bitten by the trad bow bug, it's like all you can think about. For sure. Well, it's funny for, because me. yeah, it's funny because 
I mean, I, I, you know, I know you don't have, uh, you know, a lot of context for my hunting background yet, but like I started in my adult years, like mm-hmm. post college, like I was around hunting and friends and stuff, but I just never, never got into it. I was doing sports. It was just not something I ever sure. like felt I was missing out on or something. But when I started, I started rifle hunting and I still rifle hunt. Um, but when I picked up the compound bow, like I liked it a lot. Yeah. And it, it, but it was just kind of like, okay, this is cool. And then my buddy, Brandon got me like after just months of getting on to me, he's like, sure. dude, just get this one. <laughs> like you can literally order from Amazon. I got a Samick Sage. Nice. Like he's like, here's go to this place to get a string, go get these arrows. Like he's just told me, I was like in the whole thing for under like 500 bucks, I love it. you know? And then like that first week. I'm literally like, okay, well, this is it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, dude, your, your story is super common. I mean, that, that's what <laughs> yeah. we found. You know, there's a lot of, I hate to use this, I know this term's getting popular, but like late onset hunters, right? Um, so yeah. where just, they're, they're just, as, after they get out of college or they're, you know, five, 10 years into their career, they have some money, they can take on new hobbies. Uh, they're yeah. starting to get into hunting. And um, yeah, that's, it, your, your, your story is pretty common. So what was your version of that? Like, was this something that you had grown up with in this world or did you bring this in later on into your hunting life? Yeah, really good as question. Well? Yeah, I, I cut my teeth uh, on the outdoors with small game hunting. I was a upland bird family hunter, yep. uh, pheasant hunting and whatnot. And mm-hmm. then we basically cut our teeth on freedom riding around in my buddy's Dodge Caravan going after uh, Western Pennsylvania cottontail rabbits. So that's like, <laughs> nice. that's what we did. We were obsessed with it um, and, and still hold that today. We're, we're like huge squirrel hunters as well. Actually, I'm, I'm transitioning out of bow hunting mode and into squirrel season right now. There so, you go. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't get into archery um, until I was in, in my twenties as well, my early twenties. Okay. And, um, it was my, my buddies did it all their lives. And anytime we were around the family farm, uh, they were hunting with super out of date compounds. And these were like, this was in the you know early 2000s, 2001 or so. And yep. I'd be at the family farm, they're shooting their bows and they're, they're hunting and using like 1980s Hoyts. And every time they're pulling back and letting an arrow go, like shit's flying off their bow. And it just, it was looked like an awful experience. And I'm like, well, this is archery. Like that's how I was first exposed to archery. <laughs> right. And, uh, and my fiance at the time, my now wife, uh, I, I mentioned to her like, Hey, all the boys are ha- meeting up on Tuesday nights at our local bow hunting range. And at, at the club, I want to mm-hmm. go and hang out with them. I'm going to drink some beer and, and hang out on Tuesday nights. But I don't want to compound because they look super dangerous uh, <laughs> from what they were exposing me to. And uh, it, and I was like, recurves look pretty cool. And so yeah. that Christmas, she got me a recurve and oh, that, nice. that was it, man. I just spiraled down. So I, I never had a foray in the, in the compound realm. Uh, I just started traditional just yeah. purely because of my buddy's completely crap <laughs> equipment. <laughs> but, uh, but from there, it was just, you know, completely bitten by the bug and just like you are, yeah. you know, just can't, can't walk out the man door without grabbing that bow that's hanging yeah. right there and shooting a couple arrows on my way to, you know, running errands or whatever. What was that first one? Do you remember the first one? Oh yeah. PSC coyote. I still have it nice. hanging on the rack there uh, in the other room, but yeah, it was a 55 pound, uh, 60 inch recurve. Yep. How did, how was that for your first one? Like, did you, I mean, from from a poundage percentage, like yeah, having I, not, having not even been into the compound. Thing, sure, like, yeah. I shot a I shot a seventy pound bow for like two years before I pulled back a recurve. <laughs> so I'm like, I was at least familiar with yeah, what right. the tension would feel like. Sure. You know what I mean? I guess it was just all I knew, right? It, <laughs> yeah, it just, exactly. You don't know what you don't know. So I never right. was exposed to a 30, 40, 45 pound recurve at the time. So mm-hmm. it just is what it is. So I obviously the the muscle memory, the muscle um, development wasn't there. So it was yeah. you know I had to work out a little bit to get it to get it to go, but. Um, but aside from that, I, I honestly like looking back on it, I did string this bow up like two years ago, three years ago, just for fun yeah. and pulling back on it. Like, I do think it's mismarked. I do think it's a mid 40 pound bow to be honest oh, okay. with you. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what it helps, but <laughs> nice. it, it was marked 55, but yeah, it's, it, it feels a whole lot lighter than it's marked for sure. So from that point to actually being out and, and then hunting with it, not just like shooting. Cause there's, uh, there's what I've noticed anyways, is like, there's the guys that they spend all day and actually kind of alluded to this in a post I made the other day where it's like, you can be the best shooter and the best archer doesn't really matter if 
you're out hunting and you can't get close enough to shoot yeah, anything. Sure. Absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, like, no. where did, did you just dive into like all of the technique and all of the stuff with the shooting? Or are you like, I'm just going to go out in the woods and I'll figure it out see what happens kind of a thing. Uh, it was definitely the latter for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, be, I became obsessed with shooting and I, I started, I just have a really obsessive type of personality and, um, and I go 150% into everything I do. And so I, I started consuming as much content that was there. I joined every single archery forum that you could yeah. online that was available at the time. Um, and I, I bought every book I, that was available, which weren't much. A lot of it was from G Fred Asbell and I was a complete diehard G Fred Asbell disciple. Right. And, uh, mm -hmm. I consumed everything that he had out there and, uh, I, I became pr proficient pretty quickly and I got that bow in, on Christmas and I was in the woods hunting that following, um, nice. fall. So I gave myself, you know, that, that 10 months or nine months or whatever. Um, uh, but I shot the limbs off that bow, man. I mean, I just <laughs> could not shoot enough and I got really proficient aiming instinctively. And, uh, and, and I was really good and I always have been really good at getting into the red zone of deer. I don't know what it mm. was. It's just, I, I, for some reason I find myself just instinctually gravitate. I kind of just let my instincts flow as I approach yeah. a new woodlot or whatever. And, I'm super particular about my footfalls and, and my scent trails and the playing the wind. I just, I don't know. I, I got that kind of naturally. And that first season, well, the first two, <laughs> between the first two seasons, I missed 11 deer clean Holy without, cow. without even hitting one with an arrow. Right. Yeah. So to, yeah. I guess to answer your question that way, like I was not a shooter at the time. I was right. definitely <laughs> better at hunting than I was shooting at that time. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, that, that honestly, that start in archery, I had nobody, to mentor me in, in archery, mm. like especially traditional bow hunting. I did 99% of my hunting from the ground those first okay. four or five years. Yeah. Um, and so I was getting, you know, dove in head first. So your ground level 12 yards, you have a buck standing in front of you. And I couldn't tell you how many times that arrow, I just, it's ingrained in my brain, just zipping over the top of their backs. I mean, I, I all 11 of those deer, I missed high over their backs. Oh. And so it was just a brutal start in the sport yeah. of something that I loved. I loved shooting. I loved mm -hmm. the preparation. I loved everything about it. I just couldn't go outside with having that bow in my hand and how dejected it was to finally get that opportunity. And I got you know, more opportunities than the average bow hunter those first sure. two seasons and miss after miss after miss. It was just the most maddening, frustrating experience. And I guess that's, you know, early on, yeah. that's what started this, you know, the push archery. And that's kind of how we led into that was those memories of how I started and trying to prevent giving people a different avenue of they don't have to miss 11 deer straight before right. they, they get their first one. So that's kind of how it all started. I like that. So what, what do you think was the, was there like a singular moment or a, like a singular experience where it kind of turned on you and then you're like, okay, now, now things are either making sense or I've got this figured out and it's, I'm actually doing what I'm out yeah. here to do. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I think it's once you get that first one or two under your belt, kind of the floodgates yeah. open up and it's, it, people vary, you know, sometimes they miss, they, they, shoot and kill their first deer or some level in between where I was, I think I'm on the extreme end <laughs> of, yeah. of the spectrum there. Right. And so, um, I think it's just exposure, getting yourself, getting yeah. those reps because, you know, I don't care what they say, no matter how many arrows you shoot and prep in your backyard, there's just nothing like that critical moment of like that deer, like that shot is eminent, right? That deer is coming down that trail you know, your the wind is right. You know, the shot is coming like that 30 second window as this deer is approaching mm -hmm. your window, your shooting lane. There's just nothing like it. And you can't practice that. And so it just, once you finally put the arrow on its mark and get that first deer under your belt, I think it's just like, Oh, okay. Like you can go back yeah. and relive that moment so many times in your head and get those mental reps that I think like, like the floodgates kind of open up and it's just sure. like, okay, not, not to mean like you don't miss, you know, obviously right. moving forward, but it just, I think a lot of people have had that similar experience to where just a really rough couple years trying to figure it out. But as soon as they get their first one, then you're pretty good after that. Yeah. Well, and like you said too, the, 
I mean, and you said you're on the extreme end of it, but 11 that you had missed. I mean, that's like, what's the Edison quotes? Like you figured out like 10,000 or 9,999 ways to how to not make yeah, it. Right. Call. You know what <laughs> sure. I mean? like, yeah, it's no like, doubt. well, there's something here that I can right. learn from it. Yeah. Least, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Most people are just like, dude, just aim lower, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You would have thought I would have like caught on to that quicker. <laughs> right. Maybe around seven or eight. Yeah. Like, okay, right. What's going yeah, on maybe here? Maybe I should aim lower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you too, because you're, you're back East yep. and, uh, and obviously I always, I always find it so fascinating, the differences in hunting styles because of where people are located in the country, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm out here in Idaho. So first of all, there are whitetail, but there aren't near as many Then sure. they're way up North Idaho, like closer to in the, in the heavy timbered area closer to Canada. So, I mean, terrain wise, it's a lot more similar to probably, uh, back East, right. Where, but where I am in Southern Idaho, it's big, wide open, hilly mountainous mm-hmm. desert. Right. So there's like no cover, hardly anywhere on a lot of these, on a lot of these ridges and stuff. Um, and so the way you have to do it is totally different. Oh, and yeah. like when it's mule deer, it's a totally different animal. Sure. Right. Like you have to, everything about it's different. So like, I, and I have a lot of friends that I've made in the last handful of years that are guys that are down South. And so like, it's all whitetail. Right. 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 And, and <laughs> yeah. so I always, and, but I, I have this, like, I don't know. And I'm sure I would really love it if I got a chance to go do it. But like where I am in the mode where it's like, I see one that's a thousand yards away and I have to like go run over this ridge and try <laughs> yeah, and get close, yeah, like, like, get yeah. close before I lose sight of him again. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And then it's like where you, it's like an exercise in extreme patience. Yeah. But it's right. also not just that. It's also like, how do I know what tree I need to put this sure. stand in or whatever it is? Right. So it's like, I always think it's so fascinating to do that. So I say all that to say like, have you ever done any of the stuff out West or any of this other style of hunting? Or have you mainly been like a, a whitetail and Eastern yeah, definitely kind of guy. Definitely just like Eastern whitetails. That's yeah. like, that's like, I don't know. There's something about it that. And that's I, what everyone says. I, that like, just, I there's, know some, that yeah, there's something. Like, and, it, and it's weird. Cause like here in, in, in the East, it's like, I, I live in like rural Western sure. Pennsylvania. And so, you know, there's neighborhoods around there's like kind of where I'm at. I'm like in between that you know, suburban and like farm country, like in that in between mark where every property, every home that you see owns between two and, you know, seven, eight acres type of type of thing. Like that's how spaced out the houses are. And it's just something about like every single day as you're driving to work and back, you're seeing and cohabitating with these animals Mm. in like a very intimate way. And you're, you know, you get these target bucks, you see them on their feet. Sometimes you, you know, mm-hmm. kind of their home range. It's just, there's something about Eastern whitetails that I don't mm-hmm. know why it has me so hard. Like I just, I have a desire to go out West and experience that. But then sure. when I look at like, oh, okay, I need, I can go out West, but it's going to be the first week of October. I'm like, dude, that's, that's, op- <laughs> that's opening week back right. here in PA, right? right? Like it's just right. something, something about it. Like, and I know our seasons are super long here and the tag allocation is super generous. So like particularly where I hunt, my season comes in September 15 and it doesn't go out again until end of January. Like, and, I, and, I, can, and I can archery hunt that entire time every single day if I want to. Um, So it's just, it's having those super liberal seasons. It's just really, really nice. But I do most of my killing in that mid September to mid October range, like the early season. Um, But yeah, it's the, the tactics, the, the animal, you know, cohabitating with them. It's just something about Eastern whitetail hunting that just has me bitten so bad. That's awesome. And I think I have the I think I have the affinity for mule deer because of the opposite reasons. Oh, like nice. because you yeah. never see them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? yeah like, like this ghost. They, most of the yeah. year they are like by themselves on the top of a mountain. And like, you yeah. can be looking at one hillside all day long. Right. And then in a 10 minute span, they'll go from the top to the bottom and back up and like, won't even know right. that they're there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like I it's like, I have to go find them. It's That's this so crazy great. thing, but it's, it's a really fun thing to think about like what it takes just for something that people would probably, if there aren't hunters think like how different could these two animals be like they're both deer. And you had mentioned like when you started, you did a bunch of ground hunting. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like how much of your 
hunting style, like how much has changed in that regard from what you've learned since you, since you started out there with the recurve bow? Yeah, I would say my approach to the actual like early season scouting and, and Mm -hmm. being like having this mobile, aggressive, agile style, um, hasn't changed at all. Now the tactics in which, you know, my elevation, I guess you'd call it has. So I've, I transitioned early on in those, those first, you know, five years or so I was 90% a ground hunter, like really high percentage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I would have a few ladder stands set up on different properties or whatnot. Then I got a climber, like a, like your standard Mm -hmm. lone wolf climber, like a hand climber. And um, I, I ran that you know, probably 50, 50 between hunting off the ground and then running that climber. Uh, but something was just always missing. I was super frustrated that I would like go in blind to an area. And like I said, I just have this, I just feel like I have this knack of going in and just really being able to read the sign, read the terrain and understand what those deer are going to be doing and where they're coming from the property. And I would sit there and, and as I'm approaching this like red zone of like, okay, this is the ambush area. This is this 50 yard diameter circle of the red zone of like where I'm going to encounter these deer. And I'd stand on the outskirts of that and just being real patient and real, um, paying attention to like my footfalls and where it was, do I need to J hook into this tree to make sure that deer aren't crossing Mm -hmm. my ground scent, whatever. And I would see a tree inside this 50 yard circle. I'll be like, that is the tree I need to be Mm -hmm. in, but it would be tons of branches and brambles. And I couldn't climb it with the hand climber, like with the normal style climber. Um, and that was always very frustrating to me, but I never did anything about it. Uh, but here recently over the last, I would say three or four years, uh, I've, converted over to a stand and sticks, like a hang on and mm. sticks. Um, and I, and I use like the lone wolf custom gear, uh, 0.5 here for the last few seasons. And once I implemented that, just things completely changed. No, there's no longer mm. a perfect tree that, you know, you need to be in that you can't be in because these, these climbing sticks and stands are just so agile and so versatile that you can literally climb any tree. And so in that same scenario before having, and being able to deploy the hang on and sticks, I would just grab the ghillie suit out of the trunk of the car and go in and set up on the ground somewhere and make like a makeshift ground blind. And and that was fine for me. But now that I have this tool in my toolbox using these really lightweight mobile stands, I I couldn't tell you the last time I put that ghillie suit on and hunted from the ground. It's just now I'm like a hundred percent from a tree, but my approach, my real aggressive approach is still the same just like I would be using a, like a, a ghillie suit on the ground. Uh, but now I just have the versatility to be able to climb any tree I want. So how high up are you getting when you're, when you're putting these up? Not a lot, not very high. Um, yeah. 12 to 15 feet, you know, okay. I would say average, I, I run four of their sticks, their short sticks, and, um, I always hang them all regardless of whether they're almost touching each other or they're spaced out a foot and a half sure. or two feet from each other. Um, uh, but I always deploy all four sticks. I don't really like having stuff laying on the ground. Um, once sure. I get up in the tree, uh, but most of the time, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty low 12 to 15 feet on average. It, th- that whole, uh, the whole tree thing, I say tree thing, just stands, <laughs> saddles, like all of You're it. You're definitely from Idaho. Yeah. Like <laughs> nothing, whole tree the, thing. nobody, no, the whole tree thing. Like nobody does it over here. Uh, like so I, I think a lot of guys, I think more guys probably do, like I said, way up North Idaho yeah. where it's such heavy and it's sure. real thick timber and there's more whitetail up there. Right. But, uh, I, re- I remember listening to the the episode that you guys did uh, with Cody DeQuisto oh, yeah. a few months back. And he was talking about how he's like, like barely off the ground. Yeah. He's like <laughs> yeah. seven feet off the ground. I'm like, yeah. well, what's the point? Like you're barely, like that's barely you just standing there almost. Sure. But just what he had said was he's like, the, it takes, it doesn't take as long as people would think for a few generations of deer to get used to seeing threats at sure. a certain height. And I'm like, that's crazy that I, you don't even think about it. Like genetically they learn that quickly. Yeah, right. And so he's like, just drop it down. And they're not looking for anything at eight feet. I'm like, that actually makes sense. So I'm yeah, like, the, I listen to that. I learned that a lot. The one thing from that show that like really stood out to me that, which was really neat was he was talking about how if from zero to eight feet, there's little to no cover. And then from 10 onward higher, there's not a lot of cover because if you look yeah. at like what your eyes are actually looking through and what lays behind it. And he yeah. said this on the show and he's like, if you hunt in that eight to 10 feet range or even five to 10 feet range, you have mm-hmm. infinite cover. And I'm like, I think I know what you're saying, but I can't picture it. The very next day I was, I was up in the woods walking and sneaking into, to set up a stand and mm-hmm. I'm looking and I'm like, Oh, holy shit. He's right. It's like <laughs> seven feet and under is just, tree trunks and you can see like all aside from like thickets and bedding areas sure. and stuff, but it's just tree trunks 
And then above that, if you turn up and you're looking 45 degrees or higher, you're looking at just the treetops of the maybe 10 trees that are in your surrounding area. Mm. But if you look at this like 25 degree angle into the forest, you have infinite cover. It's infinite backdrop. Everything behind everything. it. Like, like, everything is just Trees a hundred yards away yeah. are in that field of view. Crazy. And it's like, dude, it makes complete sense. So now <laughs> I understand what he meant. But I'm like, oh, okay. So now it's like, you know, having seen that, it continues to give me confidence to sure. just, if, if I know that eight feet is going to be a comfortable sit, it's going to keep me from fidgeting and moving around just depending sure. on how the stand's going to be set up. I have all the confidence in the world to, to hang at eight feet and be fine with it. So when you mention you have like this aggressive style, like what does that mean? How you actually, what does that practically mean when you're out there? Yeah. So I'm, I'm always moving around, always bumping around, mm -hmm. always hunting off the most recent Intel that I have. So, you know, food sources change all the time. Deer behavior mm -hmm. change all the time. Also human behavior changes all the time. So I, I do a lot of door knocking. I am not, I'm a hunt. I'm just going to say I'm a hundred percent hunting on uh, private land and it's okay. all permission land that I get. Sure. So I, I love the game and, and it, I wouldn't, I guess I could, I would call it suburban hunting because no matter where I sit, I'm, I can usually see a house uh, yeah. or, or multiple houses from where I'm sitting. And like I said, this rural suburban slash, you know, area is mm -hmm. scattered of two acre pieces all the way up to 80 acre pieces. And I have, I have permissions on everything in between. And so I spend a ton of time door knocking. So I'm real aggressive on that side of things. Sure. Um, and then once I get these permissions, I'm, I'm just playing monopoly with these major core areas that I'm attacking. So I'll do some e-scouting, figure out. And, and so I guess I know we've been, you didn't specifically ask this, but we can get into this a little bit. What yeah. I really like to target is I like to target semi-suburban areas that are going under development right now. So whenever you look at fast expanding areas and locations that are outside city, city centers, um, I like to really focus on that. So places that they're just buying up tons of property, putting huge 500 home neighborhoods in, uh, putting new roadways in, just expanding. Sure. That's where I focus on. And I go to the outskirts of those. So within a mile of where the heavy construction is going on and as it's kind of moving and spreading from the city centers out to the rural areas, I, I'm kind of following that season mm. over season and doing more and more door knocking as that population continues to spread into rural America. Right. And so yeah. that's how I'm focusing because you may knock on a door one year because it's a awesome spot. You think it's going to be an awesome spot and you're going to get a hard no. But the next year, whenever that highway came through or that shopping center came through, and now that same person has 10 deer every morning feeding on their shrubs, <laughs> yeah. that, that no becomes a yes, right? And, and so right. What, what's really cool about hunting in these, these areas where there's rapid expansion happening is these deer are getting pushed and, and concentrated in these smaller areas. So opportunities and deer sightings and are just on the rise. And so that lasts for like a two to three year period of time until the density of those deer can like spread out and kind of get yeah. a little bit more comfortable. Uh, so that's what I really focus in on. And that's how I approach from an aggressive standpoint on like continuing to have land and then also not being not having to overhunt my different properties. So typically I don't hunt a single spot or even a single property more than once every two weeks. So I'm always bouncing okay. around and I'm sitting a lot, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. hunting three to five days a week, at least, sure. at least a morning or an evening sit. Um, but then I'm, I'm just super aggressive with once my boots are in the field at this point, like if I set up and I hang and hunt and I'm seeing a lot of deer movement had happening, I'm, I, and I know I'm 80 yards off when I went in blind, I have no issues with tearing down mid hunt and going and setting up or the very That's next hunt. Ask you next. Yeah. I'm, I'm over there. I'm, I'm hunting where the action was. So, you know, I'm not one of those guys that go and set up a ladder stand on each property based off of July or mid August scouting. And then mm -hmm. I hope I get lucky as things are changing. I just continue to hammer that ladder stand. I mean, I, I hunt on every corner and every, every yeah. little hide that I can find on these properties and I'm bouncing around pretty aggressively. And when you're scouting, are you using cameras when you scout? Um, so I usually, this, this year I deployed a, uh, cell camera for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, I usually just have one camera out and it's on my property that I own. And it's kind of oh, okay. like in this inventory congregation staging area spot. And typically if you look from 
August one to start of season, which is about September, I'm most likely going to have a really good picture of like what type of bucks are, are, are in this area. Sure. Um, but that was the only camera that I ran for the, probably the past three or four years. I only put that one camera out in an inventory spot. I don't typically like get permission to a new property and go deploy a camera and then get that Intel. Uh, it's just something I've never done. Um, and the, the advent of these cell cameras, it's crazy because I was, I was so anti cell cam for the longest time. And I put that cell cam this year was my first year running that cell cam. And I'm told myself like in, in my whole argument to being anti cell cam was like, there is no way you're going to have these cell cams out in the field during season and not utilize that technology to help you in taking that game animal. You just, sure. it's impossible. You're not going to do it. If you get in your car and you're driving to property A and Mr. Big shows up on property B and you get that email as you're driving over, bullshit, you're not going to turn around <laughs> and go to property B. Like right. as much as you want to say you're not and you're not going to let it influence you, like that, that has cell cameras have now become tactics. And then mm. on the far end of that spectrum, guys are setting them up in different slews and coolies and different pinch points on their properties. And they're like live. They know that deer is on their feet. They're, yep. I, I just watched a YouTube video the other night. They're like, I watched them come in. They know they're on this property. We're going to go set up. They, they're getting live intel while they're sitting in the stand. Like, oh, he's on his feet. Sure. He's coming our way. So my camera was up from August 1 until start of season. And then the batteries ran out about two weeks into season. So right around okay. October 1st. And I was getting pictures. I found myself opening that app before I'd go up into the woods to see if there were deer on their feet mm -hmm. in that area. So I didn't blow them out. And as soon as I started like recognizing that behavior, I'm like, this is too far. This is too <laughs> far for me. And so I, I crossed that personal line, yeah. that ethics line that I had in the sand. And so from that point on, like this season, I'm just, and then obviously having that conversation with Cody and Cody's like <laughs> a huge buck killer and he's doing everything technology free. That just like, and he said he didn't even scout prior to either. Yeah, like right. He, he just <laughs> yeah. goes out like yeah, when yeah. he's gonna hunt, and yeah. then he'll just like, I'll figure it out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, and so like at that point, I'm just like, he, you know, that hearing that him affirm those emotions and feelings yeah. that I was having about what I was experiencing in my season, it just was like, okay, this is I'm gonna continue to do it the way I've always done it. Have one inventory location because I do like to know. Right. Sure. I, I would like to know. I've, I'm super trigger happy when it comes to filling tags. So yep. it, it would be nice to know if like a little basket eight point is walking by me. I know that there's 130 inch deer working around these properties. Like it is nice to know that. Sure. Um, but that's kind of that's, my, my, I'm my kind of, on that. I, I think that I would be in the same, um, that I'm in the same boat because I don't inherently think that the technology as a tool is bad. Right. But it's like where you said there's, there's probably a, there's a line that you drew for yourself. That's right. Right. Yeah, like, it's like it's you said. the only personal line. Yep. Right. And, and I think everybody will have that line, but I always think like, the, like you mentioned, the guys that basically have a deer's entire afternoon walk on a live stream <laughs> yeah, from every right. single, yeah, from right. 15 cameras yeah, all the way there. Sure. It's just like, yep. okay, but right. really like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't really know what to say about it, but I'm just like, really? That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, like it, it's aiding and taking the game, especially with, right. like, and I, and I am happy to start seeing like some States stepping in and banning cell camera use and stuff. And even if it's like, like cell cams are great. They have, they have great application. You don't have to go in there and lay down your scent. And these are all just like small incremental improvements to True. helping you take that game more effectively. It's just the, the, the fact of technology being introduced to the sport. Right. Sure. Um, but I do like, the fact that states are starting to step in and I would like to see them sell cameras, not being, being able to be used during season. So you're not yeah. getting that live Intel to be able to make decisions. Um, yeah, that would be, that would probably be pretty good. That'd be a good and legislation. You, and you think about like, just from technology standpoint, how many, how many different forms of various pieces of hunting technology comes out, right? Like even just in the last 20 years, Oh, right. My gosh, it, yeah. it, from from the technology of bows, the technology of arrows, like what yep. they're made out of, yep. broadheads. Yep. You know, I mean, e scouting on maps. E scouting. Like, yeah, I, mean, I was like, going to say know, that's a big one, right? <laughs> like, there's so, yeah. and I think people probably have. There's some people that would have some version of a problem with every oh, single dude, piece of those absolutely. things. You know, I like mean, I just hundred percent purist. I went on about dude. how awesome the technology is in mobile tree stands. 
right? Exactly. You're right. It's it's no different, right? So you got exactly. guys that are like 100% dedicated to ground hunting with self bows. Yep. They've made all their stuff, you know, that like, <laughs> yeah, dude, those exactly. guys are legit, right? And, and like, yeah. whenever you look at this scale of like difficulty, like they are, they are truly putting it in the deer's favor, like a hundred percent, you know, yeah, for sure. And everyone has their own lines for sure. It's, it's really funny because I think about, and, and it's, it's partly why I think I was drawn to the idea of traditional bow hunting was to take a little bit of that stuff away sure. on purpose, right? Like, and, and make things simplified down a little bit because in my head, when there's that much stuff, there's that much technology, that much stuff, like there's so many variables that could affect what's going on that has nothing to do with me, you know? And like, if I bring it down and it's just a stick and a string and an arrow, it's like, if I mess up, it's me, you know, (laughs) it's because it's something I did poorly or several times, like I have to learn how to do this and I know I can go in and fix it, but it's like, everything can get so mechanical on the other end of things. It's like something, some weird little, you know, if it's something on a bow, like some weird little screw could be a millimeter off where it's supposed, where it's supposed to be. And everything you shoot is a foot right. And you're just like, that's not me. Like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think that's why I kind of like really like the idea of bringing it a little bit more back to developing a skill and knowing it's like, if I do something right, it was because I did it. It was because if I did something wrong, it was because I yeah, did right, it. Yeah, right, You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it's all based off of like the method of take, right? So it's just right. like these these animals are are natural resources. They're they're all they're here for all of us to share in. And there's and there's plenty of them, especially out here out east, right? Yeah. And so it's like how, who am I to tell you how to enjoy your experience being alone 100%. in the woods? taking this natural resource back to your freezer and and feeding your family with it. Like if that's taking a 600 yard shot with a rifle or using a crossbow that has a scope on it, that's auto aiming for you or using a self bow, like, or anything in between it's like, I think people get so wrapped up in this, right. They get so wrapped up in like my way versus your way and, you know, just fracturing and continuing to divide an already small group of people. Um, you know, honestly, I, I know I went on a, a small, uh, cell cam rants, but that was just yeah. from my own personal, sure, you know, yeah. line in the sand for like what I experienced myself. But like, no matter what method of take you want to use, no matter what weapon you want to use, like it's, it's just spending time in the woods is what's important yeah. and whatever's going to like, cause a lot of people, they just don't, from a traditional bow hunting standpoint, they just don't have the time to, to invest in it. They, or they yep. have no desire to spend that time doing it. They have yeah. five other hobbies. They might be a diehard golfer. Well, those guys want to go play golf on the weekends and not spend them shooting a hundred bows or a hundred arrows every yeah. single day. You know, it's just whatever your interests are and how it fits into your life. So it's not for everybody, but once you get bitten by it, like you have, it's, <laughs> it, it's all consuming. It's there. Yeah. It's there. <laughs> well, and, and I want to take that as kind of a segue into the stuff that you guys do with the push. Yeah, great. Uh, because it's from a platform perspective, I think what it does a really good job is helping those guys out, maybe cut some of that learning time that like yeah. you said, you experienced those first handful of years. And what I remember, I experienced like those, this whole first year for sure, but those first few months, sure. especially when I'm just actually learning how this is different and drawing the thing back and what anchor points even are and like, <laughs> right. what am I even supposed to be looking at? Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause you don't have, you know, the site, you don't have a peep, like none of that stuff is there. So you have to learn like basically from the ground again. Yep. So where did this desire to have this essentially teaching platform sure. come from? Uh, that's a good question. So it was really all organic to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I got pretty good, pretty fast. Uh, I, not, not by my earlier story of missing 11 deer. (laughs) I don't know what, I don't know what your definition of fast is, but, um, after, after about five years, you know, I finally like, Oh, I, I feel like I got it right after, after I killed that first deer in my second season. And then the next couple years was like multiple deer per year. And I just felt like, you know, my failures were being minimized and, as my successes increased, obviously the people that were closest to me were like, that's pretty cool. Like, tell me more about this recurve thing. 
And so I would bring people under my wing and I, again, I get obsessed with stuff when I'm all into it. So you see the rack of bows behind me and I just always had so many different bows, different types, different poundages. And people would come to me and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about laying down the compound for a season. Like I would love to go shoot a doe or whatever, whatever their reasoning was. So I'd bring them in, I'd give them a bunch of DVDs to go watch. And then I would just put them through the standard protocol of some basic form training, some basic aiming techniques, and then, you know, using their already grooved form from what they were using with a compound and, and applying that to shooting a trad bow. And we can talk about that later. Um, that's, that's what I would put them through. And then they would become proficient pretty quickly and in a way they'd go right. And then another birth of another traditional bow hunter. I did this to, I mean, I can't even count how many people I've, I've lent bows out and arrows to and stuff. It's just what I was doing. And Tim Nebel, I went to college with him. I went to high school with him, actually. And then we went to college, same college together. And uh, w- once we graduated, we kind of like went separate ways. But he reached out to me and was like, hey, I-, I think I'm ready to to take this next step. Like, will you take me under your wing? I'm like, yep, let's do it. So same thing. Took him through the whole protocol. He got proficient very fast. And at one point, the idea came up like, hey, let's, you know, let's do a video. I had the knowledge. He had the cinematography and videography skills. Mm. And so we just like on a whim, like we had no desire to become a brand or anything like that. It was just, we wanted to put together a single video that would take all that five years of struggle that I had at the beginning and compress it to none in just a one-stop shop to get anybody interested in shooting their first arrow with a trad bow all the information that they need. So we came out with the push, a traditional archery film. It was our first video. We launched it on Tim's, um, YouTube channel and, uh, and and it went viral as, as viral as viral could go in a traditional archery niche community. Um, and from there it just kind of exploded. It was just something that just was never available. You always had to go to three or four different websites and talk to a couple different people and try a bunch of different things to be armed with that information that you get from, sitting down and consuming a two hour video for free. Yeah. And, uh, so once that happened, you know, our, our MO, our mission statement from day one was to help expedite the traditional archery learning curve. Like that's how that, that was our mission statement. And so one video turned into two turned into seven. And then a year after our original video launched, um, worked with, uh, hanging out and getting close with drew Kohlhofer from Selway. He had actually yeah. suggested that we start a podcast. And so in March of 2017, we started the Drew's podcast. The and, um, you know, we're plugging away on that. And then, uh, I think it was 2019, uh, our content was always very instructional based. We did a lot of like yeah. bow hunting stories and stuff, but our goal was to, when we would get these guys on the, on the show that have just clearly had so much success with killing animals, the conversation wasn't like, tell me your greatest hunting story. It was tell me how you do what you do. Like yeah. t- take me through that deer's walking up. What's your self-talk? How are you approaching aiming your bow? Like we were always very tactical in our conversations. And once that, you know, that was kind of our MO was like the instructional side. Like we were always trying to like pull these nuggets of information out of our guests. And, um, and then that, that led into coming up with a really tight network of, of coaches and people that knew what they were talking about, like these very experts, these subject matter experts. And then in 2019, we launched the online school. So the online school is called the Push Archery Center of Knowledge, and that's where we offer all types of online courses, um, lifetime access to them when you buy them, and uh, we update them semi-regularly with our coaches. Uh, but it's basically a teaching platform that enables a new archer to, or or an experienced archer that's been doing you know, traditional archery and, and playing sure. in this sport for, for decades, but it's just giving them an avenue that live in the middle of nowhere that don't have coaching uh, resources available to give them access to the greatest minds, champions, and, uh, and coaches of our sport. So that's kind of the progression of how we went from 2016 to, to now. And it's, and like you said, I mean, there's a lot of content there too. I mean, hours of stuff that you can go through, which I mean, is, is awesome because it's, it gives you so much, so wherever you're coming into it, for sure. like, like you said, if it's somebody that's been doing it forever, they maybe still need to come back and be just like, I Absolutely. refine something at the beginning. You know what I mean? There's yeah. always probably one little thing that you can improve For on. Sure. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. Like, or there's a million things yeah. that you need to improve <laughs> yeah. on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we're storyboarding with our coaches or whoever's going to be creating this online course that we're going to host, we help them like create this lesson plan that has stuff for the beginner 
but also stuff for the you know expert that's been at this game for a long time that just needs their their game polished you know whether it's form or it's mental training or it's tuning um or it's actually competition archery um whatever whatever their weakest link is we have something to to kind of get them hitting a little bit more accurate so when you were creating all of this and you're coming at it from the mindset like you said where it's this is the stuff i basically wish i had yeah sure at the front end right right. uh were you like re teaching yourself some of this stuff too. Cause I find like, I, I tend to do that in, in the fitness stuff with the coaching that I do. It's like when I'm taking somebody through a basics or whatever, and we're talking even just like exercise movement patterns, right? It's like, I'm teaching this person how to squat basically for the first time. Right. And it's like, you know what? Mine has been looking kind of crappy lately. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe I need yeah. to start doing some of this Absolutely. stuff again. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I, I learned so much being behind the camera, taking yeah. notes as we're filming these online courses with these coaches. Like, so when, yeah. when they're speaking and talking, we're even having like a, we, we do this special segment on our, on our podcast called coaching moments where it's yeah. like a deep dive into a specific subject, whether it's like the hook on the string or expansion or aiming or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. when I'm talking through these things with these, with these subject matter experts, I'm just like, blown away at how many personal notes I'm writing yeah. down on the piece of paper. Totally. Like, oh dude, I'm just re like relearning John Demmer. He's, he's one of the greatest people to shoot a single string non-sighted bow that's ever walked the earth. And he says that he always constantly relearns things on a, every three to four year cycle. He's like, I, he has to reteach yeah. himself things. Like something will go wrong. His groups yeah. are opening up. He's not scoring as well. And then yeah. he remembers something that's like, Hey dummy bow arm yep. right? <laughs> so, right like he's known for the greatest bow arm and bare bow archery but it's like he has to refresh that every now and then because it just starts getting lazy so yeah you're that's exactly awesome right. when uh so i, w- I want to ask you this too as far because this and i'm going to get into some technical stuff sure because this is now me asking my <laughs> yeah, own sure, okay. <laughs> my own knowledge right uh aiming where are you on aim? what type of aimer are you so i am a uh i guess this term got popularized here over the last few years, but I'm a gap instinctive aimer. Um, okay. So there's instinctive aiming, which is you're just burning a hole in the target. You're relying on your subconscious to set that arrow trajectory. And Joel Turner says it greatest that regardless of your aiming method, you're setting the arrow on a trajectory path. That's it. Yep. That's all you're doing. You're, you have elevation, you have windage. Those are the two things. And, and whatever your brain is taking in as visual feedback and, and your hand is at the place when that, arrows clearing that bow Mm -hmm. that's all you're doing so whether you feel better about handing that off to the subconscious staring at what you want to hit don't pay any attention to your local sight picture meaning your bow your arrow your riser your hand or anything like that you're just fully engrossed in the result like where you want the arrow to hit that's fine and i that's how i started and i and i but a buddy of mine explained that to me like throwing a baseball yeah right exactly like very you're not gonna if if you're gonna throw from center field to home you're not gonna like stop and like look (laughs) at your hand 50 yards yeah like you just learn by winging (laughs) it and learning like what it takes to get it there so it's kind of like that same thing that's exactly right so yeah that's that's how i started uh shooting for the longest time and i I killed a lot of deer that way there Mm -hmm. are some of the greatest traditional bow hunters that have ever walked the earth were instinctive aim, instinctive yeah. archers, right? Instinctive aimers. Um, they're just and they're they're just mowing down deer year after year. Yeah. It's a super super effective tactical way to aim a bow. There's no doubt about it, or passively aim a bow, however you want to say that. Um, but then there's the far extreme side. There's a bunch of different aiming methods that we don't have to go through. But basically, yeah. it's it's being a hard aimer is like how I like to describe it. So that is you're looking at the target. You have yep. a a rough estimate on what distance that is. And you know exactly where your arrow tip needs to be in relationship to that target. So yep. there's a thing called point on distance. Um, and I know you know all this, so I'm kind of like speaking to the sure. listeners right now yep. at this moment. There's a point on distance. So there's a point at which, since we don't have sights, you can picture this having a shooting a compound with a fixed single pin sight. So you would draw back your bow, stick your tip of your arrow on the target and shoot this shot. And your arrow is going to arc up and hit right where your arrow tip was aimed at that target. That's called your point on distance. Let's say that's 30 yards. Yeah. But at, if you did that same thing at 15 yards, you're going to hit high. So at 15 yards, you need to aim low. Uh, yep. And then you just map that trajectory out and you start learning that. So a hard aimer, it's paying attention to the distance from the target, has a conscious thought going, I need to stick my tip of my arrow eight inches below the target to have mm-hmm. it impact where I want it to hit. And then you 
set your aim and then you run your shot. That's a hard aimer. I'm in between instinctive and hard aiming right now, uh, especially in the woods for hunting. So I set up my bow uh, from a hunting standpoint with a, uh, I'm I'm running a three blade broadhead and I run the, one of the blades in my sight picture vertical. So it's a, a post sight, vertical post sight. And I know at 25 yards, I can draw back and stick the very tippy top of my broadhead blade right where I want it to go. And that's my point on distance. And if I continue to rise that broadhead blade up and Mm -hmm. cut, use the center vertical part of my broadhead blade, the center of the blade on where I want to hit, that's 30. And then at the base of the blade is 35. So anything past my point on distance, I am hard aiming. I'm I'm looking at the target going, that's about 30 yards. I need to put the vitals midway up my blade and then I'll run my shot that way. But 99% of my shots in the woods are 15 yards and under. I, I like being close. I like being super tight. Uh, and that's how I'm setting up my ambushes when I'm, when I'm looking for that perfect tree that we talked about earlier in the conversation. Um, so the nice thing about this system that I have is that I know that all I have to do from zero to like 22 yards is stick the vertical tip top of my blade in yeah. the window below the chest and behind the front leg just sure. in that little gap there. And so there's variation. Like if I would go out to map it on my 3d targets, I would like, I need to be two inches below the chest at yeah. 10 yards and maybe, you know, four inches below the te- te- chest at this distance. But since you're shooting at an eight inch tall vital section, I just, I shoot a lot better if I don't have to think about that stuff. And I, and I yeah. know that the variation, I might hit a little high, I might hit a little low, for the most part, I'm in the vitals and it's going right. to be a dead deer no matter what. So I just right. draw back, run my shot. And it's kind of like a feel good feeling like, okay. yeah, that sight picture looks pretty good. Like it, it, that, it looks like it should. And so that's what like this gap instinctive. Um, I am sure. aware of my arrow tip. I am aware of my local sight picture in relationship to the target, but I'm doing no conscious thought of I'm this distance away. My sure. tip needs to be specifically right there and then run my shot. I, I don't do that in the woods. That's interesting because I think the thing that was messing with me at the beginning was I was trying to do the actual, like, like you said, local yep. side mm-hmm. picture, like aiming right down the arrow, looking right. at where tip is. That's how I was trying to do it when I started. And for whatever reason in my mind, aiming below, like having my arrow, like yeah. below, like it <laughs> right. just messed me up. Like, I don't know why, like I right. was just. I don't know if it was just something in my head going, this just doesn't, sure. this isn't right. right like right. this doesn't make any sense. I could, I could do it aiming a little bit above. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, arc is going to go yeah, up and yeah, down. Right. I'm like, but doing it below, I'm like, I'm aiming at dirt. This doesn't make right. any sense. That's funny. And just kind of naturally ended up switching to a, a instinctive oh, cool. approach that I've been doing for, I mean, like the last maybe six or seven months. And after flinging, you know, however many thousands yeah. of arrows in that amount of time, like <laughs> yeah. you get, you just get, like you said, when you do it with a baseball, yep. you just learn That's right. what it's going to look like, but I'm looking at target and it just makes right now, I might change it sure. in a month yeah. or a yeah. year or whatever it might go, but like where it is right now, it's actually feeling the best it probably has in a yeah, long sure. time. That's so awesome. I'm like, I'm not going to mess with it yeah. right now. Like I'm just going <laughs> to roll with this for a yeah. little bit and dial in the small stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, I definitely urge people that are listening that like are on the, maybe the advent of coming over and giving a recurve a go, like, try them all and and practice them all. You know, it's always good to know what your point on distance is because we all know shots don't happen all the time, like like we want them to, right. And you might hit a deer too far back and they're standing at 45 yards. It's really nice to know that your point on distance is 42 and a half that you could just draw back at a 42 yard shot and try to get another arrow in that deer. Right. So it's, it is good to have these things in your toolbox to really understand your trajectory of your arrow, like from a mathematical perspective, um, and be able to leverage that if you, if you ever need to. So with that in mind, you, you mentioned like with people coming over and starting beginner type tips, right? Like what are a couple of things that you see after teaching so many people through all of this? Like what are maybe the the couple of things that you noticed that were the most common with people that, that struggle out the gate at the beginning? Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, first and foremost is the number one thing. And I, and I don't know why this, this happens, <laughs> but it happens almost a hundred percent of the time. Even if it's somebody that's not interested in coming over, they just want to shoot your bow one or two times. And I always yeah. say, tell this story to where you're standing at the range and you're shooting a recurve at your local bow club. And you got a guy shooting a compound next to you. And whether that's like a full on target rig or it's their bow hunting rig and they're standing tall and erect 
right? And I always say like standing like a man or standing like a woman, like yep. very confident, yep. tall and erect in this classic style, classical archery style. And they're drawing back their heads over their shoulders, right over their spine. They're getting into a good alignment, their front shoulders down, just a really powerful, like mm-hmm. athletic stance, right? Real tall, confident. And they're running this beautiful shot, running through the release to that release breaks, bang. And it's just super stable. And they've shot tens and tens of thousands of arrows that way and then the guy's like oh that looks pretty cool with your recurve mind if i shoot a few arrows and like yeah and you hand them this bow and the first thing they do their their feet go one foot outside their shoulder width (laughs) kick their ass out they bend over hunch over they put the bow at a 45 degree angle and they're shooting like yep (laughs) crouching tiger hidden dragon right (laughs) Right. just winging arrows and they're not even getting anchor and they're just like feeling this this like very fluid shooting motion. It's like timeout trying to be legless, dude. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Just at that moment, I always was like, okay, wait, let's hold on. There's nothing wrong with shooting the bow that way. There's not, there's a lot of people out there that kill stuff every single year. They're super accurate. They're great on the range and in the field, more power to them for that specific person. Right. And the push, our niche is the bridge between compounders and traditional bow hunting community. Like we, try to expedite the learning curve as much as possible. And I want you guys that are listening to this, that potentially are going to be picking up a bow in the next six months, a recurve and wanting to give it a try leverage that muscle memory in that great form that you've been developing for decades with your compound, Mm -hmm. leverage that with your recurve. So stand tall, stand like a man, stand like a woman, right? Low front bow shoulder, come back to a really firm, repeatable, repeatable anchor, get into your back and run up strong, powerful, confident shot shooting with a bow vertical or maybe slightly canted, like 10 degree cant. Sure. None of this 45 degree crouching <laughs> over, you know, getting lower to the ground, like leverage all that muscle memory. I think that's like the number one important tip that we can have. You're going to get proficient and more repeatable and more consistent yeah. so much faster, so much faster. Because then most of the time, like we all know, if you start dabbling in a recurve, you play with the recurve and you go back to your compound, you play with the recurve, you go back right. to your compound. So you don't want the recurve play as fun as it is to negatively affect your right, compound you shooting either. So sure. if you can approach shooting the bow biomechanically the same way, then you're just going to have a much better time transitioning or being able to use both bows, uh, both types of bows. Uh, so that's one. And, and I would say two would be a repeatable anchor. We talk about this three point anchor in the, uh, our original film that's on YouTube, Um, I would urge people to go out and watch that, learn as much as you can about the equipment and some basic form techniques and whatnot, but having a good repeatable anchor, it's your rear sight. It's, it's no different than your kisser button or your, your peep sight, um, to, to surround and get it concentric with your sight housing. Um, so if you're off by an eighth inch quarter inch on the backside on your, on your anchor and your eye to arrow relationship is slightly off. That's inches down at the target. And that could be the difference between taking and the farther the away. It becomes, a bigger it distance. keeps getting yeah. right. It's minute, <laughs> minute of angle. Um, yep. so these small differences back here on your face where your hands nestling into your cheekbones and whatnot, like find some hard landmarks that you can be real repeatable. I like to use, uh, the third knuckle on my index finger to mm-hmm. be underneath my cheekbone. Like I'm resting my head on a gun stock. Mm. I like to use the, the, I guess the second knuckle on my thumb back behind my jawbone. So I'm kind of like grabbing my face a little bit. And then I use my nose somewhere on the bow, like on the string or on the knock of the arrow. I try to get an aim and a tune set so I can stick the side of my nose on the side of the knock. And that gives me a repeatable three point anchor that enables me to just not have any variation with my eye to arrow tip relationship. And and I can shoot pretty consistently. Um, and then the last thing I think that's the third and final tip would be explore all the aiming methods. If, even if you have a desire to shoot instinctively and hunt instinctively, which is a great, great, great tool and great option. I went from instinctive to a hard dedicated aiming method back to instinctive there for a while. And I noticed that after I had my foray and gap shooting, which was a hard dedicated aiming method and yep. came back to instinctive archery, I was a much better instinctive archer just because sure. I, I had to plot out those arrow trajectories in my head. And through that, through that time of really looking at the target and being able to estimate range accurately, it just somehow ingrained these arrow trajectories into my subconscious that I was able to then not have to think about it at all 
and then just run my shots and my instinctive aiming got better, um, which is kind of counterintuitive, but it's, it's right. what, I, what I experienced personally. Well, and I think the thing that was similar with me was, it, you know, the minute I first of all learned actually what an anchor point was to make it repeatable, but I'd like messed around and like just tried to play with a whole bunch of parts yeah, on the right. side of yeah. my face. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I remember, uh, I was doing it and had like the tip, tip of my index finger, like right in the corner of my mouth. And then I heard, I can't remember who it was. I mentioned like, well, that's not a very, a very good one because the corner of your mouth moves. Like when you yeah, pull right. yeah. back, like your <laughs> yeah. cheek will move. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. So what I've been doing and settling on is all, cause I do that three, I go three under, Okay, yeah. but my, my literally the, the pad of my index finger pushes right into the, like right the cool. apex point of yeah. my cheekbone. Like, right. And cause I know it's like that part of my bones oh, never yeah. going to move, gonna move right? you know, like, but I can hook it like basically right on there and it stays right there every time. Awesome. And once I figured that part out, like there's still all kinds of stuff to get it, you know, those groups sure. dialed yeah. more and more, but it's like, I was actually hitting what I was trying to hit. Right. Yeah. Cause this, I'm like, Oh, this yeah, makes sense. Good, it that, was one that, of those. That anchor is <laughs> actually a really nice anchor because, uh, you're, it's putting that arrow right below your eye. So it, it is. Just, and that's, it, 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 when I noticed windage, it, right. I had a couple of pictures taken cause I, I just started a, a handful of weeks ago doing a, a 3d league on Tuesday nights, uh, trad league at the shop that I go to here in town, which cool. has been a freaking blast first of all but i had a couple of pictures taken from looking at me like you were looking at me going this way right and uh i'd never seen it from that angle before but i had seen it when i started the that league was when i was still down here low oh got it and i'm like oh okay that looks all right and then i started messing with it i'm up here i'm like holy hell like that arrow looks like it's poking me in the eye (laughs) so high and i'm like but that makes sense i'm like looking right right down the arrow now when i aim yeah and that's really nice to be able to get that arrow underneath your dominant aiming eye even if you are an instinctive aimer because now your windage isn't even part of the calculation you don't have to worry but your subconscious doesn't have to worry about it and so trying to minimize the amount of math that your subconscious brain has to do is good and so that that's that, that's a really good anchor that you chose. That's cool. Well, we're we're winding down on time, but there's a yeah, couple right. of things I wanted to ask you still. Um, right now, what is your favorite bow setup? Of like, you know, you got a dozen hanging up behind you. Yeah. You have one that's like your your home base, your yeah. your go to right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah I, I run a uh, an ILF rig, um, so I'm running an HT21 riser um, that that I really enjoy. I, I had a hand in designing it with Cody Greenwood and Three Rivers, uh, so we basically took the DOS platform, their 21 inch riser, and just optimized it 100%. Changed the whole geometry and everything. So it's kind of like this this bow that can play in both worlds. It can be our tagline is like it can be on the in the tree on a Saturday and on the competition line on a Sunday. So it's like this, oh, cool. this blended, this blended riser. So really like that, that bow, uh, I'm running Uka VX plus limbs, uh, on them. They're all solid monolithic carbon. They're pretty, pretty high tech limb and, um, in a, in a subway quiver. That's like, what's my the go-to. poundage on those? Uh, they're 42 pounds at my draw length. So okay. running a really light, light setup this year, yep. um, over the years, my, my bows get longer and they're getting also lighter in draw weight as well. So that's that's yeah. the trend that I'm seeing. So it's a 66 yeah. inch bow. Um, oh, okay. And and so I'm, I love it. It's it's kind of like my go to. I, I shoot so many arrows that way. And then in indoor, I'm using that same riser with a lighter set of limbs. Um, but that's that's kind of my go to bow right now. What's the arrow situation that you have? Are you heavy arrow guy? Or are you... um, that's a good question. Uh, for years past, I used to be like so far on the extreme end of the spectrum, heavy, like 740, yeah. 750 grain arrows, yeah. just extreme, extreme. Um, but last year I went down to um, like a 585 grain arrow, which yeah. was a huge jump from, from where I sure. was. And I just noticed that I just shot so much more accurately out farther ranges or even my shorter shots, my deviations were much smaller. So it was like absorbing a lot of the errors that I was having, um, which was great. And then this year I'm at like six Oh five right now with a full length. Um, I think I'm using a black Eagle vintage, um, which is a standard diameter arrow. It's 34 inches long, which is really nice for aiming. Uh, keeps my arrow tip real close to that animal at all my distances. And it's been a great arrow. So I, yeah. I run that arrow or day six arrow. Those are like my two go-to arrows for hunting. I just got um, some Black Eagle Instincts. Oh, okay. I think they're the Instincts, that I, the, the newest set that I just got. And yeah. I have the, I think they came in at like 590. Five, okay, yeah. Because um, I do, I had, I had 150 tip 
and then a hundred hundred half out. Oh, got it. Yep. Right, right at the edge of it too. So they're a little heavy up front, sure. but they've been shooting really well. But it was funny because this was the other thing I wanted to ask you because I, I, and maybe this is just because I didn't know that there was a difference. Uh, when guys go from one bow setup for hunting and then they have a different one for indoor league or, you know, just competition. Sure. League. Like what's the theory behind why that needs to be different? Why? I mean, could it just, would you be shooting differently if you just kept the same one the whole time? That's um, what I'm doing right yeah. now because I don't have another bow. So I don't <laughs> yeah, have sure. which is Which is good. I mean, f- fear the man with one bow, right? Is what they say. So, I, I mean, if, if you're not like too worried about the scoring side of things and the actual like competition side, but you're just doing it to like keep up and keep fresh for bow hunting, I would highly recommend just use your use your hunting rig all year round. Yeah. And I think that's that's appropriate. But if you are serious about competing in, in sure. trying to place at some of these larger tournaments, uh, across the country, uh, then it's, it's good to just optimize your setup for the game that you're playing or the game that you're hunting. So it's no different than like, Oh, I'm going on an elk hunt. I might want to change my setup specifically for that game animal. Sure. It'd be no different than me setting up a bow and arrow combination that's optimized for indoor archery, which is 20 yards, every single shot for 60 yards in a row versus like a, varying distance 3d competition or field right right? so all these games require different strategies and tactics on like our aiming and just there's gamesmanship behind it so if you're wanting if you care about the results and you're wanting to be competitive then that that's the reason why i i have different different bows but i will say it does suck right now this is the time of year that it sucks because i'm still hunting Right. I'm still bow <laughs> yeah. hunting. And then I'm seeing my competition. Not that I'm a big competitor. I, I go to right. participate. I'm, I'm never in the running for like podium placing, <laughs> right. but I'm seeing the people I'm competing against in the barebow community already running indoor rounds with their gotcha. full 70 inch barebow rigs. And like, they've already started to work on getting a tune set up for Lancaster at the end of January. And I'm like, dude, like we have a cold front coming in. Like this is, the last thing I'm thinking about is like Different going headspace, and, man. and standing and shooting 60 arrows at a, at a, at a multicolor face target. Right. So like, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right that now. Playing, playing, like taking bow hunting and competitive archery very seriously equally. It's very hard this time of year is like, as we're transitioning out of hunting season and it gets, cause I still hunt in late season in January too. So, sure. I mean, I'm carrying my, my hunting rig into the woods with me the same week that I'm leaving for Lancaster to go compete yeah. in one of the large national tournaments with a completely different bow. Right. Um, so, but whatever, it's all well, fun. it's funny. Cause I didn't even realize that it, like I said, I didn't even realize that it was a different, like that there wasn't even a thing that people had different setups until we started that 3d league. And we do, we have like 25 yard range and we have 10 lanes, two targets, each lane. Oh, cool. And you get two arrows at each. Oh, nice. Target. So you fun. start in lane one, you shoot at numbers one and 11, then two and 12, oh, and you it. just cool. roll all the way through. And like, I remember first or second week I was just shooting them and targets were literally like knocking over <laughs> from the, like, right. from, from the punch of my arrows. And somebody's like, what is he shooting over there? <laughs> I'm like, so great. these are just my hunting arrows, uh, man. Like, awesome. I don't know. I didn't know anybody else had anything else. Like, 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 do I need to dial back poundage or what? Like what's going on here? But That's it was great. pretty funny. That's yeah. awesome. So, dude, I had a blast talking to yeah, you today. Too, I'm man. sure we could do another several hours, and maybe we have to do a part two at some point and get into some stuff, uh, some more stuff too. But um, first of all, thank you for yeah, making time thanks today, for man. Yep, thanks. I had, for a, I had a great, great time. And then why don't you give um, all the stuff for the push, like where guys can find all of the teaching platforms, your yep. guys' podcast, Instagram, all of it. Go ahead and do all those plugs. Yeah, so super easy. Just head on over to thepusharchery.com. It's, it serves as a portal and a springboard for everything. So Instagram, Facebook, everything is just the Push Archery. You'll find us. Um, and then on the website, thepusharchery.com, you can jump over to the Push Archery Center of Knowledge, which is right there. There's buttons everywhere. It's, it's hard to miss. So got that, got products, got cool gear, got quivers, things that we design here. We also uh, design and manufacture products right here in the USA for uh, traditional bow hunters and traditional archers. So, um, yeah, go check us out. We appreciate the support very much. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you, man. I really appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.